Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Have your Bibles with you. Please lift them up, whatever form they take and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, family, we've been kicking our sessions off with a key or anchor text from the Bible, and today is going to be no different. Before we do that, though, I'm going to present to you a slide that you've seen before. It's just going to be a refresher so that as we go through what we're going to go through today, that this doesn't slip your mind. I want you to read that with me. Ready, go. Roll call is about a believer accepting a call to fulfill a role. Roll call, call R-O-L-L, is about the believer accepting the call to fulfill a role, R-O-L-E, meaning what God specifically wants you to do. Our anchor text before we pray, Jonah chapter 1. We've been reading through verse 3, but today we're going to extend that to include 1 through 5. It reads this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person and that everybody under the sound of my voice gets something out of the message today they can use. They can use and make their lives better. Not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Family, we've had a lot of discussions about this fellow Jonah and how he fled from God. I'm going to present to you a map. It's a route that Jonah took when he was trying to flee from God. Those of you who have been with us are familiar with this image. Others, it, it won't be too hard to, to pick out what we're saying here. But, you know, Jonah 
when he received the word from God to go to Nineveh, he took a certain route. You know, route or point one is Gath Heifer. That's his hometown. We call that the point of first contact because that's the first time he's hearing from God about what God wants him to do. Point two is Joppa. Joppa represents the place, the first place he ran to as he debated against God about, God, I can't believe you asked me to do this. Notice how close it is between the point of first contact to Joppa. Not very far. Point three is Tarshish. Now, he never quite made it to Tarshish, but that's where he was running off to. That is the total opposite direction of where he should be going. Tarsus is the place that is just absolutely the wrong way. Then there's Nineveh. Nineveh is his assigned destination. If we wanted to just put it more in plain talk, we would say Nineveh is the place he was supposed to be taking his tail to to begin with. Now, he ultimately made it there. But he went through all these other gyrations before he got there. Now, we can talk about Jonah all we want to, but what Jonah did here is not just isolated to him. We take very similar actions when we get that assignment from God to go to our respective Ninevehs. Remember, Nineveh is that assignment you get from God that you just don't want. Nineveh is that assignment to say something that you don't want to say and to do something you don't want to do. That's Nineveh. And we take very similar paths when we want to tell God we don't want to do something. For example, we have our first contact. We are wherever we are when God tells us to do what he wants us to do. When we get that, though, and we begin to comprehend exactly what it is that God wants us to do, we go to the nearest place to start our debate. And for us, that nearest place is places in our mind. And while we're there, heading to Joppa, dealing with our minds, we are continually telling God about how we can't believe that he got the nerve to ask us to do what he's trying to get us to do. Amen. Then... There's Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, that's, that's that place where we have concluded that, God, we're just not going to do it. And we do as much as we can to put as much distance between where God wants us to go or what he wants us to do than where we are. We want to separate that thing as far as we can. And then, of course, there's point four. Nineveh. Nineveh family is the big wild card. We know that Jonah made it to Nineveh, but many people never make it to Nineveh. Yeah. They just do not make it there. Many people never make it to Nineveh because, you know what? You ain't got to go. You do not have to go. Frankly speaking, you can say yes or no to the call. You don't have to go. 
God gives you a choice. I want you to read something with me. Because when God gives you an invitation to accept a role, it is an invitation. Say invitation. It is an invitation to accept the role. It is not a role demand. Say that with me. Put that slide up on the screen for me. Ready? Read. God gives us an invitation to accept the role. It's an invitation. It is not a role call. It is a role call, not a role demand. It's a role call. It is not a role demand. You can say no. And that is why we spent so much time in the previous sessions talking about all the different motions and gyrations that we use to avoid the assignment that God is trying to get us to accept. As the kids would say, sometimes we just be doing the most. Just doing the most. To avoid doing what God wants us to do. And guess what? It's unfortunate. But there are inherent negative side effects for us not doing what God asks of us. They exist, and sometimes we just don't think about it. It has more to do than just us going completely in the wrong direction. I mean, we can look at that map that we had up there, and you can see how far Tarshish is from Nineveh, and we could say, when we don't do what God told us to do, it's like us running away from the call. But it has more to do than just us running away from the call. Whenever we do not do what God is asking us to do, guess what, family? It hinders lives on both sides of the spectrum. Let me tell you what I mean. And I'm going to show you. Bring my graphic back up, please, of the map. Family, it affects lives on both ends of the spectrum. When we look at Jonah taking himself to Tarshish or trying to, we read in Jonah chapter 1 in our key scripture, our anchor text, that while Jonah was running away, the people that were with him on that ship along with Jonah, got caught up in the storm. And they feared for their lives. They started throwing off cargo, et cetera, et cetera. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Jonah being in the wrong place made the lives of people around him worse. What about Nineveh? That's where he should have had his tail at. And guess what? Jonah not being in the right place meant that the people in Nineveh were not receiving the word from God designed to give them deliverance. It affects people on both sides of the spectrum. Notice this. Next slide, please. What's my, what's my, what's my punchline? For all this, because there are things happen when you're in the wrong place and there's things that happen 
when you're not in the right place. When it comes up, here's what you're going to see. You being in the wrong place can make the lives of people worse. You not being in the right place prevents you from making the lives of people better. It affects both sides of the spectrum when you're not doing what God asks you to do. It's not just about you being in the wrong place. It's also about you not being in the right place. Both of those states have negative impacts on the people, whether good or bad, because you're just in the wrong place. Go to Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 3. I'm going to be reading out the voice version of the Bible. But there are, ne there are negative effects for you not accepting the call of God on your life. And just as there are negative effects, there are also benefits for you saying yes to God. It's not just... It's, it's not just us wanting to spend time talking about us saying no. Because the bottom line is we really want everybody to just say yes. We've spent enough time talking about all the different ways we say no. My gender is wrong. My age is wrong. I don't have the finances. God, I'm scared. God, I don't know what's going to happen. We've talked about that, and we talked about that so that we could try to hit as many scenarios as we can. But now it's time to shift. Everybody say shift. Yeah. Now it's time to shift and talk about, let's say yes. Let's say yes to the call. Because just as there are negative consequences of saying no, there are benefits to saying yes, and the benefits are many, but the benefit that we're going to focus on is this. When you make the decision to say yes to God, that gives God the opportunity to reach and touch the lives of others. Notice this, Jonah chapter 3 in the voice. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 and verse 10. It begins this way. Having learned his lesson, Jonah yielded to the eternal's command and headed on the road to Nineveh, road to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was an important city so large that it took three days to travel throughout it. Jonah had barely begun to walk the first day's journey into the city when he stopped. Jonah begins to shout to the people, after 40 days, Nineveh will be annihilated. With that announcement, the people of Nineveh started to trust in Jonah's God. Every person, whether young or old, rich or poor, male or female, fasted and wore a sackcloth as a sign of remorse for his past wickedness. Verse 10. God saw all they did and how they turned from their evil ways, so he relented and decided not to unleash the disasters he said he would through his servant, Jonah. Observe something there. Do you see the beneficial outcome because Jonah followed through with what God told him to do? Because Jonah did his part 
people were able to take actions to avoid destruction. If we were to say that a little differently, we would say that Jonah's yes, his accepting the call that God had for him, his yes was the catalyst for Nineveh's deliverance. I'm going to tell you, this, this is what I believe. God had in his mind the idea to deliver Nineveh some kind of way, way before he even brought the mission to Jonah. The only thing missing in God's plan for those people's deliverance was for Jonah to show up and do his part. Say this with me. It'll be projected on the screen because the same is the case with us. We're going to read. When God gives you an assignment, understand that your yes is the catalyst for him to do something great. Say that with me. Go. When God gives you an assignment, understand that your yes is the catalyst for him to do something great. Now, I want you to notice something there. I purposefully have the word the underline. Why is that? I'm glad you asked. Because there is a difference between saying the catalyst and a catalyst. The catalyst makes that thing specific. It makes that thing unique. It doesn't leave other options open. A catalyst says that what you do could be a catalyst, but there are also others. Someone could argue me down and they say, now, Pastor, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't like that. Because just because a person doesn't do what God called for them to do, if God has a plan, there is no way that God is going to let that single person ruin his plan. Pastor, there is no way in God's green earth that God will let that happen. What he would do is he would raise up somebody else. He would bring in somebody else so that his plan on this earth is manifest. So I think what you should be saying is your yes is a catalyst for him to do something great, not the catalyst for him to do something great. And let me tell you right now, I really don't have any debate with that. I don't agree. I'm going to tell you why. But I don't really have a debate uh, argument against that because I agree in concept that God is not going to let his plan falter because of one person. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I, I mean, I, I, anybody that disagreed with that would sound silly. But it's always a button away. <laughs> but here's my contention. I believe that that mindset is not, and I'm not going to allow it to be, something that should become your mindset. I'm not going to allow it. That kind of psyche, in my opinion, is the beginning or puts you on the, on the cusp of a slippery slope. And I'm not going to let you fall down that slope. Not on my watch, anyway. What do, what do, what do, I, what do I mean by that? <laughs> you see, family, the moment you believe an option exists for someone else to do, you are liable to let that option happen. 
Oh, yeah. And that's a slippery slope. Now, I haven't given you a Smithism in a while, but let me give you one. Knowing that someone else can does not necessarily negate the reality that you should. And where did that come from? It came from me raising these Smith kids all these years. For example, here we have a child comes out of the room or running around or whatever, and they keep running by something on the floor. That it's not supposed to be there. But you just, you, 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 you see it. The doctor told me that you're not blind. You just, whoop, just walking right past it. So your father has to stop you. Hey, why aren't you picking that up? Well, I didn't put that down there. I understand. I understand. But let your father ask you the same question. Why aren't you picking it up? I know that your brother put it down there. I know that your sister put it down there. I know that they can come and pick up what they put down, but you know it's not supposed to be there. So my question to you is, why are you not picking it up? Just because you know somebody else can doesn't mean that you shouldn't pick it up. Pick it up and put it where it's supposed to be. Same thing. We finishing dinner. It just so happened to be the night that, that my wife is doing the cleanup activities. They finished their dinner. They just, hey, let's go play. Plate still on the table. Hold up. Wait a minute. What are we doing? What are we doing? Well, well Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm done eating, obviously. Obviously. And I know that Mom's cleaning up. But let me ask you, why is your plate still on the table? Well, because I'm done. Exactly. Let your father ask you again. Why is that plate? Still on the table. I know that mom is cleaning up. I know that mom can come over to the table and get your plate. But why aren't you taking care of your plate? Get your plate. Scrape it off good in the garbage. Put it in the sink or the dishwasher, whatever the case may have been that night. Because just because your mama can get it has nothing to do with the fact that you should put it up yourself. You see, that's knowing that somebody else can does not necessarily negate the reality that you should. So when I say the catalyst, I mean the catalyst. I don't mean a catalyst. I mean the catalyst purposefully because you know why when God taps you on the shoulder to give you an assignment God is expecting your yes to be the catalyst that he used to do what he wants to do he wants to use your yes right now why are you asking God to put off for tomorrow his plan to help people today your yes is the catalyst for him to do something great when he taps you on the shoulder, he is looking for you to say yes so he can use your yes as the catalyst to do what he wants to do right now. He ain't looking to put it off for tomorrow. 
The only reason he has to put it off for tomorrow is if the person that he wants to do it today said they can't do it for some reason. Need to say yes. There is no reason why you should be saying no. And saying no is so easy. It's easy to say no. When you say no, you ain't got to do nothing. When you say no, you don't have to confront your fears. When you say no, you don't have to confront that family that you just decided you was going to just leave to the side and never talk to again. When you say no, guess what? You ain't got to change your ways. When you say no, guess what? Nobody can blame you if don't turn off right. Turn out right. It is so easy to say no. You know what, family, though? When you view the work with a kingdom's perspective, you can see the benefits are much more, just, just greater from you saying yes. Think of, think of Moses. In the book of Exodus, God spoke to Moses from within a burning bush. He gave this boy an assignment. He gave him a, 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 a command. He gave him something to do. He said, hey, I want you to go down to Egypt, and then I want you to bring my children of Israel out of Egypt. Listen, Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 through 10 in the Message Bible. God is getting ready to commission Moses to do a work. God says, the Israelite cry for help has come to me, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Now check this out. Moses didn't want to do this. He told God all kind of different reasons why he shouldn't. He tried to say no. He wanted to say no. He gave God excuse after excuse after excuse as to why God should basically, hey, you need to send somebody else, anybody else, just not me. Moses was like, God, I'm not a great man. God, you got to understand, these people ain't going to believe me. God, I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, I don't even speak well. He threw out every excuse that he could think about to God as to why God should not send him. Moses eventually, though, said yes. And that yes was the catalyst. That one decision to say yes gave God the opportunity to put Moses before Pharaoh. Several discussions with Pharaoh and 10 plagues later, thousands of Israelites made an exodus out of Egypt. Now come with me. Because Moses said yes, Thousands of people 
made an exodus out of the hands that had oppressed them. Because Moses said yes to the call, thousands of people made an exodus out of the situation that had them bound. Because Moses said yes to the call, thousands of people made an exodus out of the circumstance that had stripped them of hope, out of the circumstance that had stripped them of peace, out of the circumstance that had stripped them of their self-esteem. Moses' yes became the catalyst that was the first domino in a chain reaction of events that led many people to freedom. The same is true with us. When we say yes to God's call, that acceptance of God's call leads to the exodus of others. The yes we give to God is the catalyst for someone's exodus out of their issue. When you say yes to God, that yes is the catalyst for somebody's exodus out of their mental issue. Your yes is the catalyst for someone's exodus out of their emotional issue. Your yes is the catalyst for someone's exodus out of their spiritual issue. Your yes is the catalyst for someone's exodus out of their relational issue. Your yes is, your yes is the catalyst for someone's exodus out of their financial issue. Your yes is the catalyst for someone's exodus out of their, guess what, marital issue. Your yes is the catalyst for somebody's exodus. Your yes is the catalyst that leads to a chain reaction that gets somebody back to the peace they thought they would never see again. Your yes is the catalyst that gives somebody hope again. Your yes is the catalyst that leads somebody to guess what? They have joy again. All because you decided to say yes. Your yes is the catalyst. Your yes is the catalyst that gives somebody courage again. Your yes is the catalyst that gives somebody, guess what? Strength again. Your yes is the catalyst that, guess what? It rearranges and props somebody's self-esteem back up again. Your yes is the catalyst that gets that person to say, listen, I know I, would, I said I would never forgive my mama. I know I said I would never forgive my family. I know I said I would never forgive that person for what they did to me. But your yes is the catalyst that caused that person to say, God, I surrender, I forgive. Your yes is the catalyst for all that kind of stuff. Your yes is the catalyst for someone else to feed their family. Your yes is the catalyst for someone else to start that business that changes lives forever. Your yes is the catalyst. When you make a decision to accept God's call to fulfill the role in your life, for your life, people, they get better. Your yes is the catalyst. Your yes is the catalyst. Your yes is not just Y-E-S. It's a movement. Your yes puts things in motion. 
all of heaven is on the starting line waiting for the gun. And the gun that they hear is your yes. On your yes, they start moving. But if you say no, they just stand still. And people's lives are not getting better. Things are not changing for the kingdom. Your yes is the catalyst. It's the catalyst. Yeah, we want to say yes. Yes is where we want to be. Check this out. Another example, go to Acts chapter 9. Another example of how people benefit from someone saying yes to God's call is in Acts chapter 9. In this chapter, it contains where, you know, they say, you know, Paul's, Saul's conversion to Paul, Saul on the road to Damascus, however you want to you talk about that. But it's the account of Ananias and Saul. Saul's later called Paul, of course. And Saul was a tormentor of Jesus's followers. And this chapter contains the sequence of events that took him from a tormentor of Christians, let's say it that way, to a promoter of the gospel. Now, this is Acts chapter 9 in the voice version of the Bible, verse 1 through 17. So I'm going to read it straight through without any commentary because we're not here to make major commentary on it just to get it in your spirit. Here we go. Back to Saul. This fuming, raging, hateful man who wanted to kill every last one of the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest in Jerusalem for authorization to purge all the synagogues in Damascus of followers of the way of Jesus. His plan was to arrest and chain any of Jesus' followers, men as well as women, and transport them back to Jerusalem. He traveled north towards Damascus with a group of companions. Imagine this. Suddenly, a light flashes from the sky around Saul, and he falls to the ground at the sound of a voice. The Lord, or Jesus, says, Saul, Saul, why are you attacking me? Saul says, Lord, who are you? Then he hears these words. The Lord says, I am Jesus. I am the one you are attacking. Get up, enter the city. You will learn there what you are to do. His other traveling companions just stand there, paralyzed, speechless, because they too heard the voice, but there is nobody in sight. Saul rises to his feet, his eyes wide open, but he can't see a thing. So his companions lead their blind friend by the hand and take him into Damascus. He waits for three days, completely blind, and does not eat a bite or drink a drop of anything. Meanwhile, in Damascus, a disciple named Ananias had a vision in which the Lord Jesus spoke to him. The Lord says, Ananias, he says, here I am, Lord. The Lord says, get up and go to Straight Boulevard. Go to the house of Judas and inquire about a man from Tarsus, Saul, by name. He is praying to me at this very instant. He has had a vision, a vision of a man by your name who will come lay hands on him and heal his eyesight. Ananias, Lord, I know whom you're talking about. I've heard rumors about this fellow. He's an evil man and has caused great harm for your special people in Jerusalem. 
I've heard that he has been authorized by the religious authorities to come here and chain everyone who associates with your name. The Lord says, yes, but you must go. I have chosen him to be my instrument to bring my name far and wide, the outsiders to outsiders, to kings and to people of Israel as well. I have much to show him, including how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went and entered the house where Saul was staying. He laid his hands on Saul and called to him. Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, sent me so you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go back to my map of, of, of Jonas's route. Family, interestingly, just like Jonah and Moses, Ananias considered taking a couple of jogs to get away from what God wanted him to do. He even told God, God, in case you don't realize who you asked me to go see, this man been cutting a fool on folk. And I don't know if you know this, but what you asking me to do is to go in the lion's den. Oh, he, he, he thought about running away. As a matter of fact, those conversations that he was having with God is him going from first contact to Joppa. But thankfully, he didn't make the, the move to go to Tarshish. He said yes. And on his yes, on his yes, that set forth the event that solidified the change of heart in Saul. From that yes, God was then able to take a man and use that man to save many and write much of the New Testament. Ananias' yes was the catalyst. And because he did what he did, went through with what God wanted him to go through, even though it was sending him to his Nineveh, all of the world now benefits from that moment forward. That's an interesting point. But let me show you two other points that are doubly interesting, at least to me. Give me, give me that final slide, please. Two interesting points. Now, this is not going to be, you know, Bible, Bible. This is Benjamin reading the Bible and then God speaking to him about some, something interesting. And it applies so well. You got to hear this. Now, check this out. Two interesting points. Point number one. The Bible talks about in Acts chapter 9 how Jesus touches the heart of Saul. We're going to say Saul gets changed in chapter 9. But guess what? The Bible doesn't refer to him as Paul until chapter 13. What's the second point? A lot of times we talk about, you know, Saul's name got changed to Paul. He didn't really get changed. He already had the same name. You can call it he had dual names. Some people say it's a, it's a, it's a case of 
how a name is translated from Hebrew to Greek. The, the, the bottom line is the man didn't get a new name. Saul is Paul and Paul is Saul. I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you this way. It's not an exact match, but here's the way God gave it to me. It's like a person that has the first name Robert and the middle name Earl. Right? Uh, that person can go by the name of Robert or the middle name Earl. Or, as you know, if they country like me, they can go by Robert Earl. Just put it all together. Ain't no need to leave no name out. Just put everything together. Robert Earl. But, but, but come with me, family. Check this out. That person can go by the name Robert for years. If suddenly they decide they want to go by the name Earl, they have not picked up a new name. But they absolutely have made the decision to go by a new label. They haven't picked up a new name, but they have made the decision to go by a new label. Whoo-hoo. What do I want to tell you? I'm trying to contain myself. We don't need, need to be here for 30 more minutes. Family, at times, even though your yes is the catalyst, the change God makes in a person because of your yes is not necessarily evident right away. You see, God makes the change in them because of your yes, and that happens in chapter 9. But the change that you're expecting to see doesn't happen right away, so you begin to get frustrated because you don't see the change that you expect. God has made the change. But when you look at them, they still, guess what? putting on the label of the old man. They still putting on the label of the old woman. They're still putting on the label of the old child. They're still going by Saul. All because when you did what you did and followed through on what God wanted you to do in chapter 9, you expecting to see the, you expected to see the change that that was immediate. But guess what? Don't get frustrated. Don't you stop reaching those people that God wants you to reach. Because when the change God has made in chapter 9 begins to manifest, that person will no longer want to wear the label that reflects the old man that person will choose on their own to use a new label that matches their God-changed heart. It'll automatically happen. What am I saying? They may look the same in chapter 9. They may talk the same in chapter 10. They may think the same in chapter 11. 
They may make the same mistake they've always made in chapter 12, but keep knowing in your heart that God has a chapter 13 coming. The catalyst in you saying yes is not, it is not, how do I put this? Just because you say yes does not mean that the change you see on the outside reflects the yes that you gave God. But that don't mean you stop. Because the change that God wants to see in the earth may take time. The benefit of you being the catalyst is that you are the start. Your yes starts it. You may not see what you want to see or what you expected to see right away. But between chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12, guess what? Chapter 13, they start to refer to this man as Paul. Family, your yes is the catalyst. Everything that we read about in the Bible, whenever Paul wrote a letter, all of that started because one man said yes. One man made the decision to let his yes be the catalyst. And from that, I don't know, thousands and thousands of people now are familiar with Jesus Christ. Say this with me. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. My, yes my yes is the catalyst, is the catalyst for, God for God to do a great work. work. Family, your yes is the catalyst for God to do a great work. Listen, even in your Nineveh. Consider saying yes. Because that's where we want to be. That's roll call for you. It's not just about knowing your gift. It's about what you're going to do with your gift now that you know you got one. It's not about being anointing, anointed but really what you're going to do with that anointing now that you know you're anointed. We have a lot of people, and I, I'm not going to say most, I just know I, I, I see it. And it's not that I'm not going to tell you, it's not that I haven't never been there. We have a lot of people that like to talk about discovering what God wants them to do. And then once they discover what God wants them to do, they commence to telling God no. It seems nonsensical, don't it? You spend a large part of your life potentially trying to figure out what God wants you to do. The moment you find out what God wants you to do, if not what you want to do, you tell God, no, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Catch you later. Just realize that your yes is the catalyst. And it is my sincere hope and prayer that something we conversed about during 
these sessions gets you on the yes side of life. We don't want us running to Tarshish. Let's do what God called us to do, even if <laughs> he wants to send you to your Nineveh. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for just loving us, for giving us the opportunity to hear from you and to giving us the opportunity to, to get it right with you. It's no surprise to you that we are not perfect. And you know what? I know perfection would be great, but you're not thrown off by the fact that we're not. What you do desire, though, is people whose heart, hearts are focused on you. Whose desire is to please you and to, to do your will. To see that the kingdom of God grows and that kingdom is manifested here on earth. I pray that whatever you have called each and every one of us to do, that we will not either form our mouths or put the words in our minds to say no to your call. You ask, you call, we will answer, and that answer will be, yes, Lord, we will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.